Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is Therefore, you are created. Since we are gathered to hear God's word, and to call upon him in prayer and praise, and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship of this altar, let us first consider our unworthiness, and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought and word and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God, our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ, and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Almighty God, have mercy upon us. Forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you and for his sake, forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament reading appointed for this, the third Sunday in Lent, is from the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning with the 18th verse. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the, in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. The Passover of the Jews was at hand when Jesus went up to the temple. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We confess together our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for this third Sunday in Lent is from the Gospel reading. These words recorded by St. John. In the temple, Jesus found those who were selling and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, saying, Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. This is our text, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Where there's an attraction, there are vendors. It's the American way. It's not necessarily the wrong way either. Vendors need to make a living too, but it is predictable. County fairs and street fairs and shopping mall, thoroughfares, historic attractions. We've all been to them, and therefore we've all made that obligatory gauntlet run through the thick of the vendors peddling their wares, winsomely pitching their offers with clever verbal hooks and phrases, with just a few words, asking just a few minutes of your time to demonstrate to you how your life would be so vastly improved if you were to, to try their product. The side shows at these main attractions, they're not always, though, sale-driven vendors. Sometimes they're simply those who enjoy sitting with guitar or violin, trumpet or saxophone, instrument case open to collect the occasional affirming coin or dollar bill, playing their music, often enjoying playing it as much as the passers-by enjoy hearing it. Sometimes I think they enjoy it more. Where there's a main attraction, there will be minor ones. The problem comes when the minor ones eclipse the main one. The problem comes when the secondary supplementary sideshows take center stage and overshadow the main attraction when you get a figurative solar eclipse. The smaller moon and its smaller light overshadowing the sun's chief light. And it's a problem when the minor overshadows the major because then the main attraction has changed. Perhaps slowly, perhaps imperceptibly like an eclipse, maybe even unintentionally, but changed so that it's essentially no longer what it was. It's become something else. And so it was with the temple. Established in the pattern of the tabernacle exclusively to be the stationary dwelling place of God with man, it had become something other, something more. First erected by Solomon, this temple, and then rebuilt again after the Babylonian captivity to be the locale on this earth where sins were atoned for by the blood of pure lambs and goats and bulls, it had become something other, something more. A structure of native white limestone, in Aramaic, the royal stone, of cedar and cypress and olive wood overlaid in significant places with gold, standing in its court an altar from which sacrificial smoke would rise like prayers up to God. It was built to be a place where priests offered their priestly prayers for the sake of the people. But this house of prayer had become something other, something more. Rarely, rarely do we see the righteous indignation of Jesus flash, quite like we do in today's text. In fact, the original Greek would suggest that he used his whip of cords 
not just on the sheep and the oxen, but on the money changers and the sellers as well to drive them out of the temple. The original Greek would suggest that it seems that he may have just kicked over, not simply, as it subtly said, turned over, but kicked over the low standing tables behind which the money changers used to squat. Not the gentle Jesus that we're used to and often imagine. He was furious. Rightly so, for good reason. The vendors and the sideshows had eclipsed the God-intended focal point and functionality of the temple. The house of God's dwelling of atoning sacrifice of prayer had become something other, something more. A house of merchandising in the Greek emporium. The customary Templar things still went on. Sheep regularly slain, prayers prayed, psalms sung. But an eclipse doesn't come about instantaneously. Once a temple of God's dwelling alone, now the text tells us that the money changers, the business doers, dwelt there. Our version, as it was read, says sat there. But the word means sitting for a long time, dwelling. The money changers now dwelt there. The vendors were taking over. To be fair, it wasn't the vending in and of itself. Oxen, sheep, pigeons, they had to be bought unless one were going to haul them all the way from home, wherever in Judea and Samaria and Galilee that may have been. They had to be bought. They had to be pure, quality controlled to satisfy Levitical law. And so for the sake of practicality, so for the sake of convenience, the vendors vended. The vendors in the sideshows, perhaps slowly, perhaps imperceptibly, perhaps even unintentionally, but nonetheless, they had invaded sacred space. Practicality and convenience tinged with secularity began to eclipse the focus and God-given prime and sacred function of God's holy temple. Call it a Templar eclipse. You think it can't happen? In the church today, recall Union Gospel Tabernacle. You know it better than you think. It was begun in 1892 by a wealthy riverboat captain named Tom Ryman, a man newly converted to the Christian faith after hearing a barn-burning sermon by an itinerant tent revivalist preacher named Sam Jones. Convicted to the task, Ryman built his tabernacle on what was Summer Street then, now Fifth Street, just a couple blocks from the Cumberland Riverfront in Nashville, Tennessee. A large structure it was, and with the addition of his new balcony, the seating capacity was now up to 3,755 souls. The original intent was that the Union Gospel Tabernacle be used exclusively for Christian assemblies, and, and rightly so and understandably so. But builder Ryman and preacher Jones soon learned that these didn't pay the bills. So to address the practical problem, with the help of a young enterprising woman, they began to bring in other attractions, sideshows of a more secular nature, because these seemed to fill their pews for what they still considered to be the main attraction. Then to make... The tabernacle more versatile in accommodating the more secular, what some considered more relevant attractions, the permanent pulpit and a number of the pews 
had to be removed to make room for their stage. And after some time, Union Gospel Tabernacle was renamed to honor the the builder. A name that better reflected the secular nature of the secular acts that had come to be now the main attraction. It was renamed the Ryman Auditorium. You know it better as the Grand Ole Opry. You think eclipses can't happen in the church today? Sacred spaces being encroached upon by merchandising in the name of practicality? And convenience, even relevance? One Lutheran writer notes this. He writes, you probably have seen or heard the reports yourself. Churches laid out like shopping malls, he writes, with sprawling campuses and food courts. Some even a Starbucks franchise right on the premises so that you can, you can grab a quick latte before the services. It's practical for the churchgoer. It's convenient. The reasoning, he says, goes like this. We're a market-driven culture that responds to the advertising pitch. And so the argument goes, we, we have to market Jesus to the masses in the same way that we'd market paper towel or beer. Market Jesus as relevant, so it's thought. And it's not only the sights, friends, but the sounds, too, as many churchgoers today hear pitched to them the self-help of ten-step programs to a better you rather than the incriminating Ten Commandments that we heard today, and the God-given help of a crucified Christ for a forgiven you. The sounds reflect the marketing itch as all mention of sin is disappearing from some church services because the thought of sin might be a stumbling block to summon an offense to others who might happen into church that day. But thank heaven above, and it sure is good that our doctors don't stop telling us the cold, hard truth, what's really on the MRI, what's really in the test results, because they're afraid we might be offended by it and not come back. If there's no knowledge of the sin-sick condition, what possible need would one have for a Savior? in the preached and sacramentally administered medicine of that Savior. Though intentions may be good, the results are not. A partial or even, over time, a total eclipse of the saving work of God's Son. In a time, and in a context no different than ours, when trust in Jesus was belittled, By those professing to be wise when life in the cosmopolitan culture of Corinth was just as morally corrupt, the church of the day just as divided as in the culture of our day. It was in the face of the spirit of that age that the Holy Spirit-inspired Apostle Paul declared, I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What could be more relevant to a world steeped in sin but to know its condition and the diagnosis of it? What's more practical to sinners that face daily in their culture the tears and the tears in life caused by our sin? More practical than a savior from it. But what's more than an appeal to logic is the charge that the resurrected Lord of the church gave to his church of every age when he said in the last chapter of Luke, and I quote him, Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name to all nations. He will not have his work eclipsed. 
Return with me, though, to the temple, because we'll, we see there that there was more than just a partial eclipse going on that day by the secular extras moving in on the sacrosanct. Worse, we see there what had become a total eclipse of the sun, God's sun. You see, the temple-loving and adoring Jews misunderstood the very purpose and nature of that beloved structure of theirs. Their own additives to the prophet-given truth had diluted and eclipsed the main attraction, so that by this time they were teaching commands of men as if they were, though they were gods. By this time, they had come not even to recognize the one greater than the temple that stood right there in their midst. This beautiful temple, made with hands, over 46 years, the locale in which the glory of the God had dwelt, the place where atonement was made by pure Lamb's blood, where high priest entered with pure atoning blood, the most holy place to bring man face to face with God, where intercession was forever made on behalf of the people. This beautiful temple, unlike any in the world, was never intended to be the final and main attraction. It was a temporary shadow that always was intended to give way to the sun. One greater than the temple is here. The one in whom the Godhead dwells, Scripture says bodily, to eclipse, he's come to eclipse all prefiguring shadows and types of temples and, and lambs sacrificed, high priests, holy of holy dwelling places. You see, the temple had been waiting for Jesus. The temple had been waiting for Jesus. John writes, the word became flesh and eskene and tabernacled, dwelt among us. The writer to the Hebrews, filling in all the old shadows with the light of the sun, writes this, Christ came as the high priest of the good things to, that have come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once on the cross for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In order to topple their temple and their teaching, the Jews demand a sign. Show us your authority for this, Jesus. And so Jesus gives them the one and only sign that they would need. Destroy this temple, he says, and in three days I will raise it up. They did destroy that temple, and he raised it up again. Friends, for centuries, the priestly and bloody transactions that daily occurred in the temple prepared God's people for his son. His son's atoning sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension. The temple's now gone. In 70 AD, Roman military forces demolished it, leaving, as Christ foretold, not one single stone upon another. Since the 8th century, a Muslim shrine sits where once the glory of the true God dwelt. You can no longer visit the temple. A tragedy? 
That temple is passé. The true temple now visits you. Right here with his divine word, the true temple visits you right here with his atoning blood. He's the lamb slain, your greater ram in the thicket. He's the high priest that enters behind the veil, your greater Aaron. He's the intercessor that now risen stands on your behalf forever at the right hand of power. Your greater Joseph of old, who ruled at Egypt's right hand of power, supplying for his brethren, his brothers, all that their need be. As one has put it, the divine reality for which that temple stood now stands among you with all of its services, with all of his services for you. And so go to the true temple, Christ. Go to the true temple, you heavy-hearted who need forgiveness. Go to the, the true temple, you who need the prayer of the perfect priest. Go to the true temple, you who want to be near to God. Come unto me, he says. Come unto me and rest in the light of the sun. May he never be eclipsed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let us now pray for the whole people of God, in Christ Jesus and for all people, according to their need. We remember today, particularly in our prayers, our brother in Christ, Don James, who yesterday suffered a severe heart attack and rests in critical condition at Santa Teresa Hospital. We remember the chronically ill, those facing or recovering from surgery, and those recalling loved ones lost. We pray. <clears throat> Most holy God, yours is a house of grace, wherein you make that which is unholy to be holy, cleansing it from all guilt of sin. We pray that you would uphold the sanctity of your house here and in all places, where your church is in error, reform it. Where it has fallen, restore it. Where it rightly confesses the truth of your word, confirm it and strengthen it that Christ and him crucified may be proclaimed throughout the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you did not leave our sinful world in its chaos, but revealed your holy will to us in your law, your law which reflects your goodness and holiness. Through its use in our world and society, constrain violence and evil and encourage civil good. Cause it also to work repentance within us as it reflects our sin and shows us all the need for our Savior. And may it be unto your sons and daughters the divine guide which lights our path as we walk in the way that you would have us go. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Look in mercy upon our nation and all elected and appointed leaders. Grant that the laws of our land may reflect your higher and holy law and enable our courts and its officers to uphold the laws by which we are governed and preserve the rights that we enjoy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Protect those who protect our country from its enemies at home and abroad. Guard and guide the men and women of our armed forces. Curb the violence of war-torn regions of the world. And grant that just and peaceful political processes may lead toward the establishment of stable government. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. First sent to dwell in us at baptism, continue to grant the dwelling of your Holy Spirit within us, that we may be constantly cleansed of our sins, sanctified as your own, and enabled by your grace to walk our given paths in life in ways befitting of your children. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Uphold according to your will, O Lord, those who are ill, including our brother in Christ, Don James, who now rests after suffering a heart attack. Be with the chronically ill, suffering, including Brother in Christ Paul Duell, Hugh Ryan, Robert Latham, Dorothy Latham, Dick and Elsie Much, Martin Borkenhagen, Marguerite Helt. Be the strength of those who are going through tre treatment or those recovering from surgery. Be with Maggie Schuster, wife of Phil Schuster, Maria Vasquez, mother of Rachel and Stephanie Bestel. Be with those who are preparing for surgery and their confidence and courage, including Phyllis Thompson. Be with the lonely and all those who da are daily cared for by others. Comfort those who mourn or recall the loss of loved ones, including Martin Rudnick, who lovingly recalls wife Julia. Sustain them with your promise that those who die in Christ will forever live in Christ. Strengthen the faith of those who are weakened by trials and those tried by temptations. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Receive our thanks, gracious Lord, for all the blessings that you shower upon us in our lives for anniversaries of baptism, marriage, or birth, and for life's very quiet blessings and joy. 
receive our praise and help us recognize your goodness in all seasons of life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all who approach your holy altar this day to receive in its blessed reality the very body and blood of the risen Christ, grant the forgiveness of sins which you kindly deliver to us through this sacred means of grace. In this holiest of suppers, grant that we may leave your house in peace, knowing that we have here touched and received God in the flesh, and through it have been given pardon from all sin and the promise of life eternal. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, for the countless blessings you so freely bestow on us in all creation. Above all, we give thanks for your boundless love shown to us when you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh and laid on him our sin, giving him into death that we might not die eternally. Because he is now risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity, all who believe in him will overcome sin and death and will rise again to new life. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of Sabbath, Lord, have had earth with full acclaim, shout the glory of your name, sing Hosanna in the Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of all creation, for you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. At your command, Abraham prepared to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice on the mountain, and yet in mercy you provided a ram as a substitute. We give you thanks that on Calvary you spared not your only son, but sent him to offer his life as a ransom for many. As we eat and drink his body and blood, grant us, like Abraham our father, to trust in your promise now fulfilled in Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Hear us as we pray in his name, and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh. We thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.